What does it mean to be born again? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dombozik. Brian, we are hitting um, a lot of people's favorite verse today. Yes. Yeah, a, yeah. a, a kind of a familiar verse. Yeah, yeah. When you'll see on signs at football games and sporting I events. I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. No. You wouldn't know much about sports. No. Sports go sports. So, um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we are talking about John chapter three today, or at least the first part of John chapter three, which is a really great and fascinating and, um, I think much deeper passage than we often, than many people give it credit for, um, because it's it's the passage where Jesus talks about the new birth, and he is this encounter with this man named Nicodemus. Um, so before we give everything away that we're going to talk about in this episode, how about you set us up <laughs> with where this might fall in yeah. Jesus' ministry? It's, it's a similar answer to what we've been saying the last few episodes. If anybody has been listening, it's the kind of common refrain. This is early in the ministry of Jesus, and the timing is not crystal clear. Um, actually, though, this may have come before what we have talked about in the last couple of episodes primarily. Uh, but it's just early on. Um, if John 1, 19 through 4 is in a little bit more chronological order and there's reason to believe it is at least that part john presented more in chronology then we know this would be after the baptism uh after john's transition to to jesus uh, after jesus called his first few followers at least the first time uh, and then his miracle of turning water to wine and the first temple cleansing perhaps even and so then this conversation with Nicodemus would have happened after that. And it seems like something has happened because Nicodemus comes to him and one of the first things he just says, hey, I know that you're not just a normal teacher. So apparently something has happened to begin getting into Nicodemus thinking, who is this person? Let's drill in. Who is he? What do we need to know about him? Yeah, one of the first things we need to understand about Nicodemus is he's a Pharisee. Now, the, the Jewish leadership was designed, divided primarily between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, those are the two primary ruling parties. The easy thing to remember, the important thing to remember, are the Sadducees are more of the elite. Uh, they, are, they are the ones a little bit higher brow. They're the ones who rub shoulders with the Roman leaders, for example, curried their favor. The Pharisees were known as the People's Party, so they would have been interacting a lot more with the people. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees also had some key theological differences, the resurrection being one primary one. But for this case, uh, I think we just need to understand that, that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he's part of this People's Party. He's some kind of ruler, Jesus even draws attention to that, over the Jews. And the cool thing about Nicodemus is he plays this recurring role in John's gospel. I don't think the other gospel writers include Nicodemus, but John goes to him three times uh, here. And most people are familiar with this, but he also will surface again to other places. In John 7, 
the Pharisees are kind of in the chief priest are kind of debating what to do about Jesus. And Nicodemus kind of says, wait a minute, let's just slow down here a little bit. Uh, that's basically his, his desire, his, his caution to those. He's not, he doesn't come out and say, Hey, Jesus is the son of God. He is who he's, he's just saying, let's just think about this. You know, let's investigate a little bit more. So just kind of throwing that caution toward them. And then in John 19, after the death of Jesus, Nicodemus is the one who brought spices uh, to anoint the body for burial and helped bury the body. So it's interesting to see that at least it seems like Nicodemus is sympathetic toward Jesus, maybe even the secret follower of Jesus that John comes back to again these three times throughout his gospel. Yeah, and it it really is fascinating to see to see this relationship and and I mean that's one of the things that's really great about John's gospel is he when he when he puts people in the story there's always a very clear reason and there there are often these recurring characters um nicodemus is is probably the most is the clearest example of this um but i mean lazarus and mary and martha they're they're another couple they actually they appear in all the gospels in various places as well and so um these are very important people these are people that that their audiences would have likely known as well Mm -hmm. and so and so for them to show up there's this there's almost this invitation to say hey go and go and talk to this person um certainly um depending on where you date how you date when john was written um if if you go with an earlier date there's the chance that nicodemus was still alive if you go with a later date um that being early date being somewhere around the somewhere in around the late 60s early 70s um late date in the 90s kind of thing um similar to similar to revelation both of them having that kind of dating relationship um which just sounds funny when i say it that way (laughs) (laughs) but um depending on depending on your understanding of those things um there could be the invitation to say hey nicodemus might even still be alive at this point go and go and talk to him you know and that's a really important side note Aaron, that as we think about the Gospels and, and the am- amount of data that they include gives us confidence. It, I mean, they name cities and rivers and regions and individuals. And the more you do that, the more you're declaring, test this, see if it's accurate or not. Uh, if you want to, to, if you want to present a fraud, you try to stay as vague as possible. And so the particulars in the Gospels further affirm that they are reliable. And as you're saying, even even John being written later, if 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 it were the later date, which I lean toward, yeah, I mean the majority being, of people do. Yeah, the Gospel being written in in the very late '80s, maybe very early '90s. Um, and so that's what sixty years after the ministry of Jesus, even if if uh, Nicodemus, for example, was no longer alive, he there are probably other people who knew of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you still have some from that generation may still be alive or at least the next generation. It's like this, it's not like this big gap of, you know, this chasm. Well, who, nobody even knows anybody who knows anybody who knew him. Yeah. No, you would have had at firsthand, maybe even some secondhand, at least um, testimonies to affirm what is in here. 
Well, and it's for for modern. Let me start that again. And and really just to to kind of drive this point home for us, one of the things that we should recognize is that, um, is that when we think about generations and time and things like this, one of the one of the earlier presidents of the of the United States, uh, the grandson of um, President John Tyler, um, he is still alive which is amazing <laughs> yeah it's crazy like he's 90 years old um but i mean and you know tyler had children later in life um is my understanding um i'm still learning a lot about u.s history so um you know because canadian so <laughs> yeah, sorry you know. eh? <laughs> but uh but this is but this is one of those cool things is like we're not like even even things that have that happened a couple hundred years ago um have like, connection there's there's a close connection now well i mean to to further drive that home the analogy today would be it's the year 2020 so subtract 60 from it you're talking about 1960 so is there anybody alive today that lived through the 60s of course there are a lot of if we're writing about john f kennedy there would be people who are like i don't know you know I was there. I heard this. I saw him, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that time frame, even a even the latest gospel, if John were the latest gospel written, again, late eighties, early nineties, you can still see it's so close to when the events happened. Uh, when he lists these names and this this information, it, he was basically saying, "Test it. You'll yeah. see. It's true." So that is our rabbit trail. That's a good one. It was a good rabbit trail. It was helpful. But, uh, but uh, you know, so we've, we've talked a little bit about Nicodemus and who he was and why he's important. Another thing that we should be, we should be asking as we, as we read John 3 is we should be asking what Jesus' point was in everything that he is saying and everything that he's teaching and also everything that was John's point, not just yeah. G- what Jesus says. So why did he include all of this? Yeah, and I think... I think that question is vague, but it's it's the right question, mm-hmm. at least to start with, because as you read this text, it, it, there's some challenging things in here. The discussion that Nicodemus and Jesus have is challenging. Even Nicodemus got lost, and Jesus kind of called him on it. Hey, mm-hmm. aren't you the teacher of Israel? You don't know these things. Yeah. Um, and we're like, ah, I don't get it either, really. Um, and so when, when we think about this, we're waiting into some of these deeper waters in this conversation and it's helpful to start with the bigger idea because that's clear the bigger idea is that the gospel requires a change in us brought about by god again that's not a hard we see that all throughout scripture when you when you layer that understanding in reading john 3 it's like okay yeah that's the point now how does that play into this idea of baptism by water and spirit for example that's where it starts getting a little bit more complicated and you start scratching your head a little bit Um, so that big idea that jesus's point is that the gospel requires a a a divinely wrought transformation in a person but at the same time Mm -hmm. and this gets us to john 3 16 that that famous verse we are reminded that we must trust in Jesus. We must believe in Jesus um, to experience salvation. So 
to me, this when you look at it broadly, and we can we can dive down a little bit more of the details. But when you when you look at that broad view of this, it fits the context of John's gospel. This because John's point in his gospel is that Jesus is for everybody. He's for the mm-hmm. entire world. And think about what we've seen up through John four. If we're reading it chapter by chapter. John 2, you see Jesus cleansing the temple because he was concerned for the poor. Mm -hmm. You see here in John 3, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, a religious leader, one of the more elite of that day. So right there you see this this big change. Then we get to John 4, which we'll talk about next episode. Um, Starts with John the Baptist transition to Jesus. So you have a prophet there. Mm -hmm. Then you have the Samaritan woman an outcast on many different levels. And then John 4 ends with Jesus telling his disciples, look, the, the harvest is ripe. So you look at that broad brushstrokes through these, even these three or four chapters, and you see this point. The gospel requires God bring about change in anyone, but we must trust in him. Another question that, that, of course, we should be asking in this passage is, what is Jesus talking about when he's saying that someone is born of water and the Spirit? Theologian D.A. Carson is really, really helpful on this point. He's written a, a very good article that's found on the Gospel Coalition blog, and he knows what he's talking about because he, he studies this. Yes, and, he's, a, he's um, a smart man. He's a smart man, although he's, he pronounces wrath funny. Um, <laughs> He says the wrath of God and and whatnot. And so um, if you ever hear him speak, um, it's very entertaining that way. Anyway, one of the things that he says is that, uh, you know, as you as you examine the text in in the original languages, one of the things that actually becomes really, really clear is that there is a parallel between. Um, between John 3, 3 and 3, 5. And so, and you can see this even to some degree in the English as well. Um, And parallelism is a common trait Mm -hmm. in uh, the biblical, in biblical writing, especially in the Old Testament. But I mean, because the writers were predominantly Jewish, they picked up a lot of their their literary tendencies from their, from their, tradition. So parallelism, what that was designed to do was to emphasize a point. Um, So it's restating something to say that same thing again, to say, hey, don't forget, get this. But when you read the Psalms and you see something that says basically the same thing twice, they're saying, hey, this matters. So what you see there is, is you see this, no one can... um, uh, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God um, unless they're born again and unless they're born of water and the spirit. And so they're saying that these two things are the same thing. Um, now, that's only part of it. Um, Carson goes on and he he describe and what he what he he and many other theologians will point to is that uh, there's a connection here to Ezekiel 36 verses 25 and 27. And um, so this of course is um, this promise of the new covenant where God is going to, where God says that he's, you know, I'm going to remove this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Um, and, and, and so that's what Jesus is pointing to is, is the most likely explanation is that it's like, hey, this is the new covenant that we're talking about here. Um, the law, the law external doesn't work. The law internal does. 
And so I'm going to give you a heart that can obey it and that wants to obey it. And so that is what being born again. So it's a human being who is born again, <laughs> um, yeah. um, given new, given new, new spiritual life through, uh, through the, through the gospel and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And in, in this, <clears throat> again, you, you look and I've heard people try to explain what water means there in different ways. And, and they'll, you know, I think a couple of common beliefs is water is, is symbolic for physically, that unless you're born physically and then spiritually, um, you, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Others would equate it with water baptism as we know it. Um, but I think what is really helpful is when Jesus later says, Nicodemus responds, this is how, how can this be? He's still struggling to get it. And that's where Jesus calls him out and says, wait a minute, aren't you the teacher of Israel? You should know these things. Mm-hmm. So that intimates the answer to whatever this is, is rooted in the Old Testament. Um, it's something that, that Jesus held Nicodemus accountable for. So I think it's helpful that we start there how was water used in the old testament what what you know what imagery can we see like you mentioned ezekiel and so forth so mm-hmm. i think as 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 our listeners as as we are continuing to study this and try to understand it more i think that's the the big key to remember right there is is man we, we've got to connect this to the old testament in some way yeah absolutely um and just as a and and just as a side note, one other thing that we should um, that might come up in our conversations as well as we're as we're thinking about this passage is is really I mean we talk about John three sixteen as our you know as as a verse everyone loves. Um, it's always worth asking the question: What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> and and so this is where actually I'm gonna I'm gonna really encourage. Um, because most of us know it um, from more the King James tradition of yeah. for God loved the so loved the world that he gave his either his one and only or his only begotten, only begotten. son, um, you know, etc. <laughs> and yeah, whosoever believeth in whosoever him. Believe, believes believes in him. I that, memorized it in the King James when I was a did kid. Did you? Yeah. Nice. That's nice. all we had when I was a kid. Oh, I'm that old. Man, man, it was hot uh, off the presses. King James shipped it right to my church. <laughs> you know, I uh, I respect that you admitting your age. <laughs> you know, you don't look a day over three hundred and ninety. Nah, so uh, well done, well done. This is actually one thing that I really love about about the CSB translation, yes. which is our translation at um, at Lifeway. Um, it is a um, it is a wonderful translation overall. Just as an aside, um, but how we've rendered. John 3.16, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who looks at the footnotes in other translations, which means it's going to be a surprise to a lot of people. <laughs> footnotes? What are, what are those things? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but what it says is, is this. It says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that whoever, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so when we think about when we when we break this down so often when we look at um, when we look at John 316 and we we take it from our modern reading of that historical perspective historical translation of for God to love the world so love the world um, we tend to purely equate 
emotion to the yeah. so. It's God loved the world so much that he did this. And without diminishing that, I think that the CSB helps us dig into that a little bit deeper, that it's not purely an emotive response. Um, it's a particularity. So it's God loved the world in a very specific way. He demonstrated exactly. it. And that's key. And let's be really careful to make this clear. We are huge advocates of God's love for us. We yes. do not want to diminish that at all. That is beautiful. That is important. God does love us. Mm-hmm. And so it is not wrong to look at John three sixteen and and emphasize that. But I agree with you completely. This that my concern always is that that can take us down a dangerous path of putting us on the throne. Mm-hmm. That we we are central to God's joy, that we are central to his love, that it's all about us. And it's not. It's all about him and his glory. He does love us. We do matter. We know these things, but he is paramount. And I think actually, yeah, the CSB rendering protects it and actually makes that clear how much God loves us. Because mm-hmm. as you're saying, it's not a... Oh, I love you so, 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 so much. And how many times I underline that is is proving my love for you. You know, God's love for us is proven in the cross. And that is powerful. That this is the way. You want evidence? You want proof that God loves you? Look at the cross. Yeah, absolutely. And it um, it adds power to where... John later in his epistles says to says to his hearers and says to us today that um, if you love God, you will love one another. It adds fuel to yeah. what Jesus says either that you will be known by your love for one another because it's because God loved you like this. Yes. Therefore, as people who are loved by God in this way, I want you to love one another in this way. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just beautiful. And, and of course, I mean, there's so many other questions that we could ask. I mean, we know that there are, there are folks who have all kinds of different questions about, you know, who is the everyone and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, but I mean, here's the deal. We're not going to deal with that here because that's, that's something for you and your church to address according to your convictions. What's clear here though, is that God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. That's right. And as long as we agree on that. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Let's give us a a socially distance appropriate hug or high five to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's move forward six foot apart in these days. Because this verse should not divide us. This verse should unite us around the cross. Brian, I'm glad that you're trying to be a, a uniter and not a divider here, um, even on this podcast. <laughs> so uh, the most important question that uh, we can ask, and I mean, we have kind of already, we've already dug into this, which is, you know, how does this point us to the gospel? Um, John 3.16, we've been, we have we have been talking about that for I don't know how many minutes now already, yeah. but it but it is worth restating that I mean this is a just a beautiful picture of the gospel yes. just in this verse. Well, you know, and it's it's at risk of some people thinking what's oh, so cliche, 
it's almost like I think we've talked in a recent episode about the the song Jesus mm-hmm. Loves Me and how that's viewed as a child song and it really should not be. The same thing here, John three sixteen. I think let's not let's not resist it because it's so cliche. It's so well loved, so well known. It's well loved and well known for a yeah. good reason. It is a it is a profoundly beautiful verse, and it points us to the cross and the and the resurrection and the gospel so so well. But I would also add. This is not only where we see Jesus, of course, here, because two verses before this, Jesus gives us a beautiful connection between this and Numbers 21, uh, where Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Of course, he's talking about that account where the Israelites were grumbling because they were thirsty, and God sends these, these venomous snakes, and they were biting people, and people were dying, and so the people... Uh, pleaded with Moses to intercede on their behalf. And so Moses does this and God says, well, Moses fashioned a serpent, a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. Whoever looks at that serpent will be healed. Uh, will I mean, will be given life because if you were bitten, you, you're going to die. And so it's the way to live is to look up at this serpent raised up. And so Jesus says, I'm, no, I'm going to draw your attention to that Nicodemus because in the same way that works, you're going to see the son of man lifted up and he will bring life talking about the cross and resurrection, mm-hmm. of course. So, uh, you know, think about what it would have taken for an Israelite back in numbers 21. You've got all these venomous serpents on the ground. That's kind of where they hang out. Although, by the time we get to the end of 2020, with the way this year is going, there could be flying snakes oh, by then. But you, you, you look on the ground, and there are all these snakes, and you are told, no, don't look at the ground. Look up. That, that mm-hmm. takes faith. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. How is it going to make sense to me to look up on, at this bronze serpent? Oh, by the way, the source of my death, how does that make any sense? Well, it's the same thing when you think about the cross. The cross is foolishness to the world, and it requires faith to take our eyes off of ourselves, off the mess that we have wrought, cast our eyes upon Christ, who he is, what he's done, and thereby find faith and salvation. So John 3.14 and 16 coupled together are just this wonderful way that we see the gospel laid bare here. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, think about this passage from a, a practical discipleship perspective. Um, so whether whether someone listening to this is uh, discipling someone one on one or in a in a group context um, for any age, what kind of guidance can we offer in working through John three with someone else? Well, I think the first one I've intimated this earlier is. Um, only wade into the deeper waters of this passage that the person you're discipling or the people you're discipling are ready for. Uh, Don't push them over their heads too fast, too soon. There's a time for that. And we want, we want to get people into the deeper waters. We don't want to leave them on the shore, near the shore, just, you know, water up to their ankles. Um, That's discipleship. Discipleship is exploring these deeper more complicated truths because when we do that we find through the holy spirit's guidance and 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 rendering of course the the deeper beauty of the gospel 
but again, we can't go too fast. So if it's a new believer, for example, a brand new believer, a newer believer, you probably want to stay with the main ideas and make sure that they are cemented because you don't want those to be muddied as you're going deeper into these these waters of what water means. Um, and so we don't want to leave the person more confused and perhaps even less confident in their ability to read the Bible, to read God's word, to understand it because they get lost about what water means in this context. Instead, we want to make sure they read John 3 and say, I don't quite understand this part of it, but I understand the big idea and that's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that we would always want to do is, is um, especially with especially in a group setting, um, somewhere where you don't know where everyone is at from a a spiritual perspective. You don't know where they are in their relationship with God. Um, This is always a good gut check point for all of us, or a heart check, really. Um, Say, okay, are we, do we actually trust Jesus? And, and so if not, why not? I mean, thinking about what he did and, and it's, it's a, so it's a, it's a call to, to renewed or first time trust in Christ. Um, it is a call to, um, it is a call to really like worship him in thankfulness to see, okay, this is all that he has done, you know? Um, and I mean, even, even stuff that we haven't even talked about in the in this passage yet like i mean you go past 316 into 317 through 20 uh through 21 i mean you you just read this stuff it, it says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he is not believed in the name of the one and only son this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives in by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. There's something there that we should be really thankful for that the judgment that was ours by default by faith in Jesus is no longer ours. You know, that is a that is a hugely profound thing. I mean, people talk about many uh many Christians as being very fire and brimstone, very judgmental, very judgy <laughs> um, in in all kinds of different ways. Um but we can't forget that judgment is is actually a key is is just a key reality. It's part of it's part of the problem that we have in this world it's that and it's not that we're going to be judged it's that we already have been judged you know i mean we have to deal with that exactly well and that's that's why i love this passage because again you would be right and you should emphasize what god has done what his work his work in providing jesus jesus's work and so forth it is right and fitting that you could preach or teach on this and and really camp out there for the most of your time. But then look how many times you read belief or believe mm-hmm. in those last few verses. Look at look at the the, uh, the one who does. Look at the human responsibility here in that passage. We would be remiss to neglect our mm-hmm. responsibility in this as well. 
So salvation is brought about by God, but it, it is in tandem with us trusting in Jesus. Yeah. That is the mechanism by which somebody is saved. And then living out our faith requires the Holy Spirit doing the work in us and through us. Yeah. But it, it, it requires us to do things, spiritual disciplines and so forth. So this passage really marries those two together well. They are not enemies mm-hmm. that need to be reconciled. They're friends. Yeah, uh, absolutely. and we see that here absolutely. clearly. All right, Brian, I think that's a good place for us to to wrap up, lest we uh, dig into the weeds on anything that will get us in trouble. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we're, I didn't bring my no, floaties, no. so we're not uh, going into I appreciate, those deep waters. I appreciate that. I'm, uh, yeah, I I, I I don't even know where to go. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> You think about putting Gross. sunblock on and just sitting on the beach. All right. <laughs> yes, all right. Is. So, uh, with all that said, thanks for chatting today, and thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. Um, if you've enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. For more resources, uh, please do visit gospelproject.com. And before we go, I do have to mention one thing, which is that we know that there are a lot of churches that um, are experiencing a lot of difficulty right now in in this season. At Lifeway, we love the church. We are here to serve the church. It's the only reason that we exist. And so we have just launched a new church assistance package. uh, And you can learn more about this at lifeway.com slash church assistance. What this is, is it's a series of offers, promotions, and resources that are all designed to help sustain your ministry in this season, even as you are planning uh, what the what the future looks like. And so we would encourage you to go check that out. Go to lifeway.com slash church assistance. You'll get all the details. Sign up there. It'll be great. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you later. Love.